This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Remember, folks, we're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's when you can check us out on AMI-tv across Canada. You can also find us beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Maybe you're streaming us around the world on TuneIn Radio, Radio Player Canada, OO Tunes, wherever you're listening in, across Canada or around the world. Thanks for being here. As mentioned, I'm Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthan. Let's get to our weekly conversation where we uh, discuss and learn about our rights. This is with Danielle McLaughlin, and we call it Know Your Rights. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Danielle, I'm thinking we're going to get a lot of interesting perspectives and uh, opinions today and maybe some clarifications as well as you bring on a very special and regular returning guest for us. That's right, Ramia. Well, I'm very happy to have with us today Noah Mendelssohn-Aviv. She is the Executive Director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, uh, one of the organizations that took the case of Canada's using the Emergencies Act back in February of 2022 before the federal court saying that the invocation of this act uh, contravened our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The decision just came down last week, and uh, I know that Noah has lots of things to tell us. Welcome back, Noah. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. It's really nice to have you. Now, we know that uh, in the winter of 2022, there were a lot of uh, people in Ottawa, living in Ottawa, who were met with very noisy, prolonged, and downright unpleasant protests. And these citizens wanted it to be stopped, and the government did too. Now, the last time we talked with you on AMI, you told us that you believe that the government did not have the right to invoke the Emergencies Act when it did. Why was that? You know, emergency laws are written for serious situations. You might even say extreme situations where ordinary laws in Canada don't suffice. The reason you have an emergency law, for example, is during a war, you just can't get the parliament together. You need to pass certain laws. Government has to take action. And so they're given special powers to make these laws, to make these orders or regulations without the normal democratic checks and balances. And in extreme circumstances, we live with that. But it is dangerous for democracy because those checks and balances are what keep governments accountable, keep them transparent, allow the public to be involved, allow opposition members to speak out. And we don't want emergency laws being used unless we are in that very serious kind of situation. But if ordinary laws will work, that's what should be used. Okay, so um, even though people may have agreed that they it was an unpleasant situation, they didn't like it, um, you know, that does that didn't in in the view of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association um, create an emergency situation. Nonetheless, the Emergencies Act was invoked. However, ten days afterwards, they uh, decided to revoke it, and yet the court agreed to hear the case when the act had already been revoked. 
Why was that? So just going to your to your earlier point about it being an unpleasant situation, it was more than unpleasant, right? I mean, I I, I know you don't you, you mean it tongue in cheek. It was a very distressing situation. It was extremely it was distressing. Downright and nasty, actually, yes. For <laughs> residents of Ottawa and in particular for marginalized and racialized communities who experienced uh, harassment and intimidation, even uh, reportedly assault at the hands of certain protesters and, and blockaders. It was a very, very problematic situation that needed to be dismantled. We didn't take any issue with that. We took issue with how it was done. And ultimately, which comes again back to why the Emergencies Act or why not, ultimately, it wasn't taken apart using Emergency Act powers. It was taken apart using ordinary policing. They brought in extra police services. They set up a plan. They used policing law enforcement plans for a massive disruptive blockade and, and did what they needed to do to undo the blockades. So why did we go to court when all of that was said and done? Why did we make, well, we, we took the government to court before the Emergency Act was lifted. Why did we maintain our court challenge and not say it's over? Because we think that the accountability is necessary for this government and every future government to understand that there is a high threshold to be given this information by a court, this declaration that emergency laws cannot be used unless it meets that high threshold, to know that the public is watching, to know that CCLA and organizations like ours as an independent watchdog organization is watching to ensure that people's rights are protected, the democracy and its checks and balances are protected. So this and every future government should be very careful before they declare an emergency. Sounds like um, even though you may have agreed with the the government that they wanted to see these people gone, the way in which it happened was not okay. Now, the federal court uh, agreed that um, certain rights had, in fact, been infringed by the use of this act. Which which rights did they say were infringed? So when the government declared an emergency, it then gave itself the power, again, without normal democratic checks and balances to pass laws, and it passed two orders. And we said that those orders had violated a number of charter rights, including the right to freedom of expression, and the federal court agreed with us that that was a charter violation, and including the right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure under Section 8 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And there, too, the court agreed with us that there had been a charter violation. Now, did CCLA, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, think that other rights had been infringed that the court did not agree with? Yes, we had, we had also said that this was a violation of charter rights, uh, the right to uh, freedom of peaceful assembly. Yeah, and there were, it wasn't because the orders that were passed across Canada and freedom of association for that matter, the, the emergency orders that were passed across Canada were not localized or focused on Ottawa. The government of Canada put in laws that said from coast to coast to coast, whatever the issue, wherever you are, however tiny the community, if you set up a certain kind of assembly as defined in that order that might disrupt public peace, and, and protests are often disruptive, but not necessarily in ways that were similar to Ottawa, but any of those kinds of protests anywhere across the country, no matter how small, no matter the issue, all of those were prohibited, and there were very harsh consequences for people who attended or went in the direction of or assisted or and, and so on. And so we said that the right to 
peaceful assembly and the right to freedom of association had also been violated. Uh, the federal court did not go that route. Um, but but those were some of the arguments that we made. But the federal court certainly did find that the charter had been breached through those emergency orders. And that's part of the concern as well about the use of emergency orders. Times are, are, are difficult. Emotions are running high. People are seeing a crisis. They're experiencing a crisis. And sometimes people are more comfortable giving up their rights and freedoms and governments do so in ways that go beyond what is actually necessary in the circumstances. So you, you've said that you believe that there were other ways they could have ended the blockade. And I, I know that, you know, if you look at the timeline of how things unfolded, there was a blockade in Windsor that in fact was ended prior to the invocation of the Emergencies Act. But, you know, the, the government says, look, we wanted to get those tow trucks to get rid of the, you know, the the the, the big trucks that were that were in Ottawa. And the only way uh they would they they could get the, the tow truck drivers to comply was using the Emergencies Act. Do do you disagree with that? We we do, and that was part of the evidence and the arguments that we laid out at the federal court. And as I said, ultimately this was a law enforcement issue that was resolved through through ordinary law enforcement and did not need to invoke these dangerous uh, in, important in extreme circumstances, but dangerous emergency powers. Because I am quite old, I recall when the War Measures Act, which doesn't exist any longer, it was replaced by the Emergencies Act, was invoked during the Quebec crisis. There were a lot of arrests across the entire country. Were there a lot of arrests when the Emergencies Act was invoked two years ago? I don't have the figures on how many people were arrested, but we do know that using those emergency orders, they shut down protests across the country. They sent people's names without uh, going through a court uh, for to freeze their bank accounts and their assets, which means that there was no opportunity to correct mistakes or for any, again, for any accountability or uh, checks and balances by having an independent judge review and make sure that that was appropriate. And then information was passed back to the RCMP, back to CSIS, back to security services. So there were some pretty serious charter violations that happened under this use of, use of the emergency laws, under the Emergencies Act, in a different way than rights and freedoms were violated under the War Measures Act uh, during the 1970 October crisis. I, I would say that, uh, you know, as, as, as you know, Danielle, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association in 1970 uh, also stood up and said using the emergency powers in this way is a violation of rights and freedoms that is beyond what is necessary and beyond what is reasonable. And it's very dangerous for people's fundamental rights. And it's interesting because to stand up in that moment of crisis when people are feeling concerned doesn't make you popular. But it, with time, there were commissions of inquiry after the War Measures Act that ultimately showed that that was the correct position to take that CCLA had taken. And here too, I think, you know, two years later, we've got the federal court saying, yes, in fact, use of the Emergencies Act was wrong and unlawful, and the orders that were passed were unconstitutional, which were the positions that CCLA had taken from the very beginning. 
Yes. Well, I, you know, I, I, I recall uh, CCLA's involvement with actually the drafting of the Emergencies Act as a measure to replace the War Measures Act in, in the 1980s when, when that was going on. And one of the things that emerged, and I'm not saying that CCLA had anything to do with it, was that the Emergencies Act relies on a definition of a public order emergency that comes out of the CSIS Act. What do you think about that? Is that is that appropriate still? Does that need to be revised? Or, you know, is it time we, we do something completely different? I think I think the definition of the CSIS Act, that it's a serious threat to the security of Canada, is a standard, it's a high standard, as you would expect for a very serious but dangerous law like the Emergencies Act. And so I think it does make sense to have that high threshold. It is one of the things that CCLA fought for when the Emergencies Act was passed as a replacement to the War Measures Act to make sure that governments couldn't use these emergency powers unless that kind of very serious situation was in place. One of the things that happened two years ago is that when the government invoked the Emergencies Act, they did so and they said, well, here are the reasons why. The Emergencies Act required that they set out their reasons, and their reasons were you know, we're concerned about trade and we're concerned about the economy of Canada. And that had been implicated, uh, you know, for a brief period when there were blockades at the borders. All of those blockades have been moved and taken apart by the time the Emergencies Act was used. So that was no longer an issue. And trade and the economy are really important. But trade and the economy, if they suffer for a few weeks, weighed against government giving itself massive powers, you know, that's that's a big that's a big trade-off of our rights and freedoms. And if emergency powers get normalized, if this and future governments think that this is setting a precedent for, you know, something is difficult, something is complex, we can use emergency powers, bypass the usual democratic process, pass orders to address it, people are going to accept it. The next time we use it, they'll be used to it again, we can do it again. All of that is dangerous for our democracy and democracy protects all of us, because that's where we have accountability and an ability to speak up. So that's why it's it's really important to maintain that very high threshold. That's why we took the government to court so that all governments know the standard is high. Don't declare emergency powers if you can address the situation using regular laws. I guess that that you know, pr protecting people's right to protest. Um, is very important and and governments are required not just to um uh you know enable people to to uh, protest but to actually protect their right to do it and i my my feeling uh is that the, using the emergencies act broadly could in fact keep people from a labor strike for example if if it was uh shown that it was affecting the economy in some fashion. Is is that a concern that CCLA has as well? It's one of many concerns we have with emergency powers and with the shutting down of protests. Protest is, protest is even can even be disruptive, you know, but we, we allow our streets to get shut down for all sorts of events, right? That the marathons and the Santa Claus parades and the, um, you know, special events that happen in our cities and in our public squares, these things... Um, these things are part of the fabric of public life, and so is the ability for people to speak up about the environment or about, um, you know, racial justice or about the rights of trans youth or about 
you know, any issue it is that people want to raise their voices about, our public spaces is where that happens. And the guarantee in the charter says that that right is protected unless government shows that it is demonstrably necessary to create a limit. And then that limit has to be as minimal as possible because these rights are so important to protecting our expression and to protecting our other rights and our abilities to fight for them. Well, do you think that as the it currently stands that the Emergencies Act needs to be revised in any way or perhaps even struck down altogether and, and, and rebuilt if, if at all? Or are you happy with it the, the way it stands now that you've had this decision from the federal court, which of course will be uh, um, undoubtedly reviewed by the Supreme Court at some point? Well, we, we've started by looking at the Emergencies Act to see whether the standard was met, what that standard was. That has been our main focus. If an amendment is uh, brought in, then of course we'll take a very close look at it to see if it's appropriate and sufficiently protective of rights and freedoms, uh, if it's sufficiently protective of the right to protest. Because again, you have disruptive protest and then you have blockades that go too far and need to be dismantled. But in order to make sure that those balances happen right, we are safer. All, all of us are safer under the ordinary checks and balances of the democratic system. And right now, the Emergencies Act, was that standard was not met. And government was able to take apart those blockades in Ottawa that had caused such disruption using ordinary policing, as they should. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Noah. I think that helps to, to clarify what um, what happened in the courts and uh, the position that the Canadian Civil Liberties Association took on it. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we will be speaking about this again sometime mm -hmm. in the future. Thank you so much for joining us. That's yeah, my great pleasure. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Danielle, that thank you. Thank you so much. That was my guest, Noah Mendelssohn-Aviv, who is the uh, General Counsel and Executive Director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. And we'll chat with you next week, Danielle. Thank you. Danielle McLaughlin and Noah join us on Know Your Rights today. Uh, always an interesting and insightful conversation and a lot of reflection on things that go on around Canada. Great conversation. And things to look at down the road because of everything has an effect on everything else. We will take a quick break, folks. When we return, we'll wrap up the show. We'll see what's coming up uh, now with Dave Brown. Their show at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. We'll see what we've got for you. And are you looking forward to the April 8th eclipse? Well, instead of looking up, for those that can, you might want to look down and ponder some other things that will happen during the eclipse. We'll talk about it in a moment. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. 